Well, good morning. Glad you all are here. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it at this point in time? And uh, if you don't have your own Bible, there should be several Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. Why don't you grab one of those? And uh, let's turn to the New Testament book called Galatians, the, the book of Galatians. So if you turn towards the end of your Bibles, you'll see the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll get the book of Acts. You'll get First and Second Corinthians. And then you will find uh, the book of Galatians. And we will be in chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. As we continue on in our sermon series, Sipping Salt Water, this morning taking a look at uh, the uh, idolatry, the salt water flavor, if you will, of people. Of people pleasing. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I trust that you're there or close to it. And uh, so we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Um, this morning, uh, we are not only going to be praying for our time here together in the Word and for uh, my preaching and for your hearing of the Word, uh, but I want to take just a moment uh, to pray for uh, one of our own. In fact, uh, our chairman, our deacon chairman, Larry Girdham, I think many of you, if not all of you, know Larry and Vicki. Um, Larry has the distinct privilege this morning of preaching, but not at our church, obviously, because here I am, right? Uh, he is preaching at Christian Bible Church just down the road, and uh, it's a great privilege for him to do that. And so I know he would, he would covet our prayers, even probably about right now as he's stepping into the pulpit as I am. Uh, and so let's just pray for, for me. And then we'll pray for him too, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into the book of Galatians. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here. It is good for us to dwell together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is good for us to have sweet fellowship together. It is good for us to sing uh, your praise. And it is good for us to sit under your word. Father, I pray both for my own self uh, as I prepare to preach and teach your word, and I particularly pray for Larry this morning. I'm grateful for his willingness to serve uh, the body of Christ, even though it's not our body of Christ here at Grace. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen him and me, that you would give both him and myself great clarity and great boldness, and uh, that we would speak your word truthfully and faithfully. And uh, for this congregation and for that one, I pray that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open to receive your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, I want to share a quick story with you, a time in my life when I was in junior high, probably fourth, fifth, maybe sixth, sixth grade. And uh, we've all been there, at least those of us who are old enough to have been there. Um, and uh, the junior high period uh, is often a time of change, and it's a time where you're figuring out who you are. And uh, you want, at least I did in my junior high years, wanted to fit in. We wanted to, uh, wanted to belong, and uh, in particular, as uh, it, it often happens in schools, there are, are groups of people, and in my little school, there was the, the cool group of people, right, uh, boys and girls, young men and young women that were perceived to be popular and perceived to be cool, and then there was uh, those of us who may, uh, may not have been perceived to be that. I'll let, you, I'll let you guess which one I was a part of. Um, but as the story goes, um, the, I was approached by uh, three uh, young men in my class, and they said, hey, we want to go, uh, we want to, go to the candy store, and we, we want you to come along. But it wasn't just the, the normal candy store in our little town. See, there was a, a, a husband and a wife, and uh, they had a little candy store just in their house. 
And um, so they, they asked me to go, and that was unusual because these weren't my friends. But I perceived that they were in the cool group. And I had a perception that maybe I wasn't in the cool group, but I wanted to be in the cool group. And so I thought, well, this is unusual, uh, but I'll go along. And, and as we went along, I sort of began to put two and two together. See, uh, the little candy store that we were going to, the owner, uh, the husband of the candy store was almost blind. He could see, but not very well. And as we walked along, I sort of overheard the conversation of what they intended to steal from this gentleman at the candy store. Now, I knew that they had not asked me to steal any candy from the candy store, and so I'm a smart young man, and I figured out what my role was. In fact, they wanted me to purchase candy while uh, they could distract, uh, so the gentleman could be distracted and I could buy some candy. So I sort of figured it out by the time we got there, and uh, sad to say, I I bought a piece of candy, and it went down the way that I thought it would go down. Now, friends, let me ask... Um, why did I do that? Why did I do that in that moment? Probably lots of reasons, but I would say at the core of it, I was uh, sipping on salt water in that moment. And it was the salt water of human approval. Because I not only wanted to be these people's friends, no, um, deep down inside of me, I needed to be these people's friends. I needed their acceptance. I needed their approval. Friends, I wonder if you have ever done things or said things or gone places that you now regret that you know were wrong simply simply to save face, simply to impress other people, uh, simply in an attempt to gain other people's acceptance or approval. And if you have, like myself, then you know what it's like to take, take a sip from the salt water of human acceptance, of human acceptance. Some of us take little sips while other, uh, others of us drink as if it were from a fire hydrant. But likely, we all know what it's like to struggle with this idol so deeply rooted in the fallen human condition. Thankfully... Thankfully, we are not alone in this struggle. I am not alone in this struggle, and you are not alone in this struggle. As today, in Galatians 1, we are going to hear the words of a man who was once enslaved to the salt water of human approval, uh, of people pleasing, if, if you will. And in his words, he's going to show us and tell us how we can fight this insidious idol as he had learned. To do, And of course, that man is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. And I want to direct our attention to his words there in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And in these verses, what I think we're going to see is what it looks like to not sip on the salt water of human approval. In other words, Paul is going to provide for us a positive example. He's going to show us what it looks like to come out of people-pleasing and into God-pleasing, out of having a person or a group of people as, uh, as an idol, as, as, as the, the one you want to seek approval, to God. So he will provide us a positive example. And in that positive example, by contrast, I think we're going to learn what it means to serve the idol of people. So if you have your Bibles open, let's take a look starting in verse 6. But before we do that, I want to 
tell a story, an old story, in fact, about a football game. So I came to church this morning, and uh, Tim back there was looking at my PowerPoint, and he said, you're going to tell a football story. And I said, amen, it's a great Sunday, right? He said, it's football weather. Yes, it is football weather. Well, back in uh, 1929 at the, at the classic Rolls Bowl game, it probably wasn't weather like this, but Georgia Tech was playing the University of California when, as the story goes, the ball popped out of the hands of a Georgia Tech running back. Now, there was a, a gentleman who played for the University of California. His name was Roy Regals. Now, back then, you would play both, both offense and defense. And he was, he was the center on offense, but he was also, at this time, playing defense. And so the, the running back fumbles, and Roy Regals scoops up the ball, cuts across the field. But then he sort of finds himself hemmed in, if you will, and he reverses field. And as he did that, in that moment, he lost his, his bearings. And he began to run, not the direction that he should have run, but the opposite direction. He was going the wrong way. He broke loose, dashing towards the wrong end zone. Now, 70,000 fans watched as Roy Regals uh, was doing this. And, and the, the, the radio announcer at the time... He was stunned, and he said into his microphone as Regals crossed the 50-yard line, What's the matter with me? Am I crazy? He couldn't believe what he was seeing. The crowd began to shout in a vain attempt to to turn him around. His teammate, a a gentleman by the name of Benny Lom, pursued him downfield, running as fast as he could, screaming at him, Stop! 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 And in the end, it was a, another teammate who actually tackled him at the one-yard line before he could score for the other team. This is what it looks like. Let's take a peek. The most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. In the 1929 game, Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A blocked punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regal. Okay, how would you like to have that uh, place in history, right? Roy Regal's running the wrong way. Friends, um, Paul in Galatians chapter 1 is writing to the churches in the region of Galatia who, like Roy, had started their Christian lives going the right way, running the right direction, pursuing the right thing and believing the right gospel, but then sort of took a U-turn. They began to run the wrong way, if you will. And Paul now writes to them, and he's sort of serving as their teammate, right? He is running behind them saying, stop, stop, stop. You're going the wrong direction before they could score for the other team if you will. See, they had been turned around theologically, so to speak, by uh, a group of, of, of Jewish men who were trying to discredit the Apostle Paul's ministry among them and his gospel to them. And what they were teaching is that a person is made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and by obeying the Old Testament law, specifically by being circumcised. They were adding works to the gospel of grace. And these churches had been influenced by this false message, by these false teachers who uh, were teaching this false gospel. And so Paul um, pulls no punches as he begins his letter. So let's take a look now at verse 6, and we see Paul's very strong response. He says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Quite literally, he says, let them be anathema. Let them go to hell, is what Paul says. As we already, verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you, what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So Paul um, has very strong words for this church that is running uh, their race in the wrong direction. And after these strong words in verse 10, uh, he makes a rather interesting comment. It seems to come out of left field, if you will. He says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still, notice that word, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Notice Paul admits here in verse 10 that he once was a people pleaser. That he once sipped on and served the idol of human approval. Of course, we know that Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee, very strict in his Jewish faith. We know that he was a persecutor of the church. And now, I, in, in this little word, if I were still trying to please people, we get a sense of his motivation before he came to Christ. Why was he doing what he was doing? Because he was sipping on the salt water of human approval. See, Paul's opponents were claiming among the Galatians that he was a people pleaser still because he was preaching to them that they didn't have to obey the Old Testament law, that they didn't have to be circumcised like the Jews were. And, and they were claiming, listen, Paul is teaching an easy gospel. He's teaching you this gospel because it's easy, because he wants to gain your approval, because he needs your approval. He says that's how Paul got such a following by making an easier gospel, if you will. They, they claimed that he changed his message to suit his crowd. That's what people pleasers do. And so to this, Paul in verse 10, he gives a rebuttal. He, he says, no, no, that's, that's not the case. I'm not trying to win the approval of you Galatians by changing my message. No, no, I'm not seeking human approval. I'm seeking God's approval. I'm not trying to please man. I'm trying to please Christ. And that if I still were trying to simply gain people's approval, not only would I preach a false gospel, but, but uh, I wouldn't be pleasing to Jesus. So here in these verses, in particular in verse 10, Paul provides us with a positive example, right? He says, I once was a people pleaser, and now I'm not. So what does it look like then? How, how can Paul's positive example uh, teach us about what it means to be a people pleaser? What it looks like to be sipping on the salt water of human approval? Well, I'll suggest a couple things from the text to get started and then three additional applicational points. Number one, uh, from these verses we see that people pleasers are afraid to speak 
the truth. Do you see that in verses 6 through 9? People pleasers are afraid to speak the truth. So let me ask you a very simple question. When you read what Paul wrote in verses 6 through 9 and the language that he used, could it be said of him that he was um, holding his punches, that he was trying to please people? No, of course not, right? He wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said, right? But friends... Those of us who sip on the salt water of people's approval, we would have a hard time writing and we would have a hard time saying what Paul wrote and what he said in these verses, right? I mean, we would have a hard time using the language that he used. And that's because people pleasers are afraid to speak the truth when it might upset someone when it might hurt their feelings, when it might even bring a relationship which we value into jeopardy. So what about me? And what about you? Are you afraid to say things that someone might be upset with you for saying? Do you avoid conversations that might get too heated? Do you fail to bring up your concerns? Or maybe when you're wrong, do you, are you scared to tell people that you have been wrong, that they hurt you because you fear their response? One of the things that people pleasers do is they take the edge off of things that need to be said, of points that, that need to be made. They sort of say the truth, but not the full truth. They sort of hedge their bet if you will, because they want to make what is being said more palatable to people. Friends, is that you? Do you do that? It might be an indication that you're sipping on the salt water of people-pleasing. I remember when Shelley and I first started dating, maybe we were engaged at that point. I don't quite recall because it was only a nine-month period. It happened pretty fast. But I remember going to her house and she uh, was excited because she was going to make a, a dinner for us. And she made like a, a beef chow mein kind, kind of a dish. And she said, I've never done it before. I'm trying it out. I'm like, great. It's going to be fantastic. So we sit down at the table and the, the food is before us and we pray and uh, I dig right in, right? Because I was hungry and I take the first bite and the food comes into my mouth and friends, it is saltier than salt, okay? It, it, it is so salty that I almost gagged, you know? Um, but like you do when you're dating or even engaged, you want to Uh, please that person, right? You want to gain their approval. And she hadn't taken a bite yet. And here, I've got the bite in my mouth, and I'm like, "Mm, getting a drink. And she's like, how how does it taste? Now, let me ask you, what am I supposed to say there? What am I supposed to say, right? I I don't know what I said, to be honest. But it was was probably like, "Uh, it tastes okay. I I don't know. And so she took a bite, and she was like, Oh, that's awful, you know. And so we threw it out. We threw it out and we ordered Chinese, right? Um, that's what we, it was awful. Um, but, friends, that's what people pleasers do. Like, we don't want to say, this is horrible, throw it in the garbage. Because we're afraid. Now, maybe you shouldn't say it that, that bluntly, right? But, but we're afraid to speak the truth. People pleasers are afraid to speak the truth. Paul was no longer a people pleaser, and he was not afraid to speak the truth. Number two in verse 10, people pleasers value others' approval more than they value God's approval. That is so clear from verse 10, is it not? So the question really becomes, 
whose approval do we really care about the most? Whose well done do we really want to hear? Whose I accept you, I accept you, do you really need to hear? People pleasers are afraid to speak the truth. People pleasers really value others' approval more than God. And let me add to this application list three more character traits of people pleasers. I've borrowed these from Pastor Jamie Munson. He's put together a long list. I've taken three that I find most helpful. People pleasers, number three, are characterized by fakeness. By fakeness. And he says this, and I quote, If you are overly motivated by the opinions of others, you won't act like yourself. You'll be a chameleon, adapting yourself to any situation for the sole purpose of fitting in. Now, friends, does that describe you? Are you chameleon-like? Do you find yourself not acting yourself around certain groups of people or, or certain individuals because you really want their acceptance? Friends, if so, you might be sipping on this salt water. Number four, people-pleasers are characterized by apathy. They are apathetic. He says, fear man and you will quit taking risks because of the potential for embarrassment and failure. If an endeavor is unlikely to succeed, you'll never take the chance. Friends, let me ask you, is this true of you in life? Is this true in your family? Is it true in your business? Is it true in your Christianity that you are afraid to do things that might not work out the way that you anticipate. It might not succeed because you're so concerned about how people see you and what they'll think of you. And heaven forbid that they see that you would fail. Um, friends, I am here. I see this tendency in myself. As I look back throughout my history and my, my years, I do this. I don't want you to see me fail because I really want you to like me. Friends, that's what people-pleasers do. Number five, people-pleasers are characterized by dishonesty. Again, Munson writes, If we fear somebody's response, necessary words will remain unsaid because we care more about ourselves being liked than we do about that person. Friends, people-pleasers are dishonest oftentimes, and it's driven, it's motivated, because they don't want to lose face. They, they don't want to, to, to hurt that relationship, right? So we end up saying things that are not exactly true. We leave some details out, because we don't want that person or that group to think less of us. Maybe we lie about what we spent money on to our spouse. Maybe we lie about the job we did with the client. Or, or maybe we don't share what we did in church the night before because we just want to save face at church. Again, Steve Hopp in his very helpful book by the same title, Sipping Saltwater, has some very helpful application questions for us. And it goes like this. Um, Who are you worshiping, he writes. To whom are you bearing your soul in an ungodly manner? Who are you letting direct your life, seize your thoughts, command your actions, grip your soul? He says, maybe it's your spouse. See, you're strong and confident and secure when your marriage is solid, but you crumble at the hint of any dysfunction. He says, maybe it's your parents. You're grown up and you're married, but you still feel the incessant need to obey their every request. 
Maybe it's your boss or your buddies or your boyfriend or your best friend. He says, if you love anybody too much or if you hate anybody or allow them to rule your heart, then friends, you're sipping on salt water. See, Paul used to sip on salt water, but he was freed by the glorious gospel of Christ. And we'll see how that happened in just a moment. But, but I want to turn from uh, the salt water of people pleasing to a different form, a related form of salt water, but it's opposite. We'll call it the salt water of independence, of independence. See, if we're prone to, pe- to, to treating people as a god and thus idolizing them, um, then we're maybe just as prone to treat other people as garbage and to demonize our need for them. Trading the worship of another person for the worship of, well, me, right? My independence, my autonomy, my preferences, my money, my time, my possessions, my business, my life. See, when we sip the flavor of this particular salt water, we think that we can go it alone in life. We may be married, but really, it's we, can, we don't really need them, right? We may have a family, but we still go it alone. We don't really think we need others. We can have others in our life, but we don't really think we need them. They're sort of just like accessories, right? We run our life, nobody else. We're our own bosses. We choose how we spend our time, what we do with our money. Take Jeff, for example. He's a 35-year-old businessman in San Francisco, and per his own words, he uh, is dating a young woman that he really likes, and um, Deborah, for three years now. But he admits that he is afraid to pop the question. He's hesitant, and in his own words, he is concerned. He's freaking out, because that means he'll be attached to this one person for the rest of his life. He says, and I quote, no more late night pizza runs, no more binge sports watching with the buds, no more doing whatever I want, end quote. He knows what it means. He's at a fork in the road, propose or be done with it, and he's already decided to be done with it. And the sad part is, to his own admission, this has happened not once, not twice, but three times already. And this is the fourth. Friends, um... Why is this? He's sipping on the salt water of independence. And friends, we do too at times. We need other people, and yet we don't admit it. Not to idolize them, but to sharpen us and them. So, we can be sipping on the salt water of people-pleasing. We can be sipping on the salt water of human independence. But I want to return to verse 10 in Galatians chapter 1, because I think there, uh, in part, we see a remedy to the salt water of people-pleasing. How can we overcome it, is the question. And I think Paul answers it, and I'll just sort of give you my answer here, and then I'll I'll try to defend it from the Scriptures. I think we can overcome, um, and friends, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I try to overcome the salt water of people-pleasing by seeking to please God, Because God is pleased with me. I would suggest to you that we overcome this idol by when we seek to please God because we know that God is already pleased with us. So let's take a look at the text here. Notice the phrase in verse 10. Uh, Verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Right? The question 
is here, what does he mean by this? He says, am I trying to win the approval of humans or am I trying to win the approval of God? What does he mean when he says, I'm very clearly trying to win the approval of God? That's what he's saying. I'm trying to win the approval of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that he's trying to earn his way to heaven, to earn his salvation, to win God's ultimate approval, if you will? I don't think so. Paul goes on in Galatians 1 and everywhere else to talk about that's not the case. We can't earn it. It's given to us as a gift received by faith. I don't think so. Notice the parallel phrase in verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or the, or, or the approval of God? What, is, what does he mean by winning the approval of God? Well, he goes on to say in the rest of verse 10, or am I trying to please, trying to please people? See, he's not talking about earning God's approval. He's talking about acting in ways that Please God. Acting in ways that makes God smile, if you will. See, Paul deeply desired to please God. He wanted God to be pleased with him. He wanted uh, his actions and his life and his motivation to bring glory to God. He wanted God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He, he cared more about God's approval of his actions than other people's approval of his actions. But based upon what? Why could he cast aside so easily what people think? How could he do that? Well, if you'll turn with me to another book uh, in your New Testament, the book of Romans. So if you're in Galatians, just go backwards a few books. You'll see 2 Corinthians, you'll see 1 Corinthians, and then you'll see the book of Romans. And turn with me, this is where we will land. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7. 15, verse 7. I think we get the answer to this question. How, How could... Paul say, God, I really want to please you more than I want to please these people. And I don't really care what they think. Well, we see it in verse 7. Paul writes, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. He tells the church, accept one another. Be accepting of one another, and, and what's the reason why? Then, just as Christ has accepted you. So friends, how do we overcome the, this, this idol, this simple prescription of the gospel, is that we, if we are believers in Christ, have been accepted. We have been accepted already by the one that matters the most. By the one that matters the most. This is the gospel, friends, that God declares us right with him when we are not, in actuality, right with him. God accepts us, though we are unacceptable to him because of our sin. Because Jesus is right and acceptable to him for us. See, Paul could say, I want to please God with all my heart, and I don't care what these people think, because I have already been accepted by God in Christ. And on that solid foundation, he could seek to, to, to please God. Friends, this is how we overcome this idol. We seek to please God because we are already, God is already pleased with, with us. Friends, we're going to celebrate this fact now as we prepare to transition uh, into communion. On what basis has Christ accepted you? On what basis, for what reason, has Christ accepted us? 
how can we be right with a holy God when we ourselves are, in reality, unholy? How can we know that God has accepted us, that he is pleased with us, and use that as a motivation for pleasing him and not other people? How do we know that we are right with God? Well, it's found um, in what we celebrate in communion. Because in communion, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. We are remembering the basis upon which we have our acceptance from God. And friends, it's not because you're good, and it's not because you're moral, and it's not because you've done anything religious or right. In fact, the truth is, we are sinners, and we are destined for hell. We deserve hell. And um, God, in His grace, has stepped into our lives. He stepped into history. And he sent his son to live the life of perfect obedience to God that I couldn't do and that you couldn't do. And he did it. And he offers that perfect righteousness as a gift for us. And not only did he live perfectly, but on the cross, his body was was torn, right? And his blood was, was poured out for us. For our sins, taking the, the just penalty that we deserved. And then we know what happened three days later. He rose again saying, what I did for you is true and valid. And he offers us forgiveness of sins and eternal life in so many more things. If we simply would trust and accept what he has done for us. And that's what we celebrate. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you to to pray with me. As Paul said in the verse that was read earlier, we examine our hearts. We examine ourselves. We prepare ourselves to come to the table in celebration, if need be, in humble repentance, if need be, in thankfulness for what Christ has done. We prepare our hearts, and then we come. And so I'm going to pray, and after I pray, the music will, will, will play. And then I invite you, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ, to come to the table and to remember what Christ has done for you. And friends, if you're here today and you know that that is not the case, that you have not trusted in Christ for your salvation, then friends, refrain and consider what we're doing as a gospel invitation, that it is a picture of what Christ has done for you and that you, even in this moment, you can turn to him and you can be saved. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion, if you will. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that we don't have to seek other people's approval because we have your approval in Christ. Oh, help us, we pray. Forgive us for our apathy, for our dishonesty, for caring more about what others think than what you do for our fakeness, and so much more because we we really want to please others and not you. Thank you that we can be forgiven of that, and we celebrate that now. Father, may we remember what Christ has done for us, and we ask it in Christ's name.